0: welcome
1: the sports podcast I said welcome to, welcome to the, dirty podcast. Welcome, to, welcome, to the dirty podcast.
2: welcome to the dirty sports podcast I'm your host Andy Ruther coming to you live from Cincinnati, Ohio, with my co-host from Los Angeles, California, Joey. No show right now.
3: Hello, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, it's morning here still. Good morning. I don't know where in the world I am at this point. I don't know what's going on. I'm delusional. Eddie Ift. Made me drive 18 consecutive hours back from Denver without sleep so that he could get home to his children on Easter Sunday. Oh, wow. It, it made me so unhappy that we didn't just stay in a hotel and start early in the morning that I considered showing up to the Easter party that Eddie made us stop at on the way home and telling all the children that the Easter bunny was not real and that if it was real, It was now not real because I murdered it, but, uh, I didn't do that. I held my tongue and, uh, yeah, I'm a bit car lagged. So
2: why were you the one who had to drive?
3: Well, no, we drove, Okay, we drove, but we drove without stopping. We left the show Saturday night, shout out to all the dirt balls who came out to the show on Saturday night and drove directly from post-show to Malibu.
2: So you drove from Denver to Malibu.
3: Yeah. 18 hours. Yeah. That's a stretch, man. Yeah. So shout out to Kyle Aronofsky, who had a beer in the green room right before I ejected and went uh, back to Malibu. Shout out to all the dirt balls who made it out to Denver, especially those of you who love to say hello, stay your dirt ball. And I'll say, hang out after the show, get a picture. And then you wave goodbye as you leave. <laughs> there's always Classic. there's always a dirt- <laughs> The classic dirtball move. Uh, shout out to Mason and uh, the the North Dakota crew. Who guys, I'll be shipping your veil souvenirs back to you later today. Shout out to Jack who made it to three shows in uh, Steamboat and two in Denver. I mean, S- super fan. He, he's got to be able to do my act at this point. Yeah.
2: Well, so. I'm glad you made it back. I was busy. Dressed as the Easter bunny being harassed violently, if I might not add, by children.
3: Were they just assaulting you?
2: Yes. Assaulting me. I got one uppercut to the nuts. I mean, I take the time to dress as the Easter Bunny. It's uncomfortable. I can barely see. And this is this is how I'm repaid.
3: This Uh, is how I'm repaid. Why are they assaulting the Easter Bunny? Doesn't the Easter bunny bring candy and like Jesus back from the dead or something? The Easter Bunny brings a lot too much candy too much candy it it also digs the hole that our savior escapes out of right well I, I don't i don't know i actually don't know the connection between the fictional easter bunny and the fictional jesus character but i know there there's got to be a link right
2: i don't think so i just know that even the children who are so sweet normally decided Hey, I'm gonna take my basket and whack the Easter bunny, and eventually the Easter bunny was uh, deheaded, beheaded. I don't know what you want to call it. The I was told to bend over, and I was tricked by a six-year-old, soon-to-be six-year-old girl who ripped off the Easter bunny's had, head, and I took off around the yard acting like you know for dramatic effect, and the Easter bunny's head ended up high in a tree in the backyard. Mm. I mean, it, it was like. It was like murdering Caesar, it, you know?
3: Yeah. Are these kids just all hopped up on chili? Like, what's going on in Cincinnati? Sugar. Sugar. And, and where are their parents during all this?
2: Well, it's a good question. I think the parents are the instigators who want the Easter Bunny to take abuse. And by parents, I mean my brothers. The women, right. the women do not engage in this. The brothers. I, I thought I'd be off the... You know, in the clear this year because my brother, Brad, who's the lead instigator went somewhere with his family. Got it. So I was like, Oh, he's not here. I'm going to be good. I don't have the, the lead instigator for the kids to abuse the Easter bunny. Nope. I was wrong. I was just beaten, battered and torn. And you know what guys, I don't appreciate it. Kids. Cause the Easter bunny has feelings too.
3: Next year for you, Andy, I'm going to come and I'll don the Easter bunny suit. Suddenly the Easter bunny will be, eight inches taller and not related to anybody. So he will have no problem smacking children down. Well, s- smiting them in Jesus I, name,
2: you know, and I, and obviously it was, it was mostly in good fun. I'll be like,
3: I ain't had any meat all lent. I'm about to feast on human meat today.
2: My one little niece kept explaining how she knew it was me. She knew it was me. And then at one point, I called Roscoe's name and she goes, how do you know that dog's name? And this was my response, which looking back on it, my brothers really laughed at. It was pretty ridiculous. I said, Easter bunny knows all. I said, all animals know each other. All (laughs) animals know each other. Like I didn't, I didn't put parameter on it. It's all animals know each other. So I knew his name, which is pretty vague, but I survived dude. this Easter stuff. Now with the kids, It's Halloween. Like, yeah. they get so much crap. We did an Easter egg hunt. My girlfriend made a basket for each kid on top of the hunt. My sister-in-law made a basket, which we didn't know for each kid. It's like they left here with two already made Easter baskets full of candy on top of the eggs full of candy.
3: Yeah. I think what happened was, Jesus was crucified and then when he died and was in the cave, he uh, they went and they checked the cage and the cave and he was gone and what happened is he became diabetes.
2: I
1: think and that's now, what happened.
3: and now he is just spreading his Jesusness throughout the world in the yeah. form of chocolate and candy.
2: Well, well, I, I, again, my little brother is a dentist. I, I thought, you know, he, this is not his holiday. He sees all these children running around with candy. I'm like this, this dude, are you going to like wake up in the middle of the night and just get rid of all your kids' candy? I mean, his kids have never, even, I don't think they've even had a soda before. Like he's, he, he doesn't, he he's not that like he lets them have sweets, but like when it comes to the soda and that stuff, he he always says how bad it is for your teeth like that's way worse i think than candy but it's just so funny to me but you're right these kids out now and it's not just like it's not cuz i was talking to my neighbors it's not just my nephews and nieces apparently this is a thing now that's what she goes the amount of candy these kids get yeah whether it's christmas or halloween anyway my message is stop giving all these kids candy and i'm part of the problem so who am i who might even say that Anyway, good good start for the show, Joe.
3: Yeah. Good start for the show. By the way, uh we got uh, I reached out for uh for some comment on, you know, the state of Easter. And I was like, Well, what if, you know, what if we like just remove the candy? And I, you know, Phil Castellini made a good point. He's like, What are these kids gonna do? Where are they gonna go? What if I just said, What if he stop giving them candy? He's like, Yeah, it's a good point. What are they gonna do? You gonna go some other family for candy? No, they're just gonna have less candy. And I was like, I think that's the way we gotta handle this, Phil. I like
2: it. I like. I like. I like how you're segueing into a little baseball, a little Phil Castellini. And for anyone keeping track, since Phil Castellini said, "Where are they gonna go?" The Reds have lost every single game.
3: Um, I mean, talk about the Ruther curse is strong, but the Castellini curse is doubly strong.
2: Oh, you know, you know, what we never talked about last week when we were talking about that situation with the Reds. We kind of failed to mention from the players' perspective. Oh yeah, can you imagine being a member on that roster, and
3: can you imagine being this Hunter Green kid who comes up and throws more 100 mile an hour fastballs than anyone's ever thrown in a game, and he's like, "Oh, cool. Where am I going to get traded eventually?"
2: Yeah. It it, it is wild, though. If you're a member on that team on opening day, the owner's kid, again, COO of the team, says that. you're Like, if you're Joey Votto, you're saying, cool, dude, you really want no one to come to see us this year. You're basically saying, I give zero fucks about the actual players. And again, they're not just losing. The Reds have lost six in a row. Speaking of Joey Votto... I forget he's he dude he struck out in that Dodger series I think like 12 or 15 times like they are playing terrible and Hunter Green like you said LA kid you know he's heralded again her- heralded as like the next big thing but dear God all that means is that they're going to lose games closer when he pitches yeah like there'll be more in games, and Exciting. I hate—I hate to say this, but I will say this. Again, I like a lot of the players, but I kind of hope they lose every single game. Like, dude, uh, I've
3: been—I've been there. I was there. Right. That was—that was my whole—that was my whole, that was my whole uh, Carmelo Anthony with the Knicks, right? Era, era, yeah.
2: Be- because it's one of those things where it's like, I want just. Because if the Reds – let's say the Reds lose 100 games, and I don't think they will. Like 100 – I don't think people realize how hard it is to lose 100 games. It's really hard. But let's say that happens. Then I think change then can actually happen, right? You can be forced – or the turn ownership is forced to make a move, whatever it is. I I think that's the only way it happens, if a team absolutely hits the bottom.
3: Yeah. Well, where are the Reds at now? Two and eight? I mean – you lose 100 games if you go two and eight. You lose 100 games pretty quickly at that pace.
2: True. But it doesn't help when you start with a West Coast, you know, you go Dodgers, then they go Padres. Like they're yeah. starting out the gates with uh, some tough series. But, uh, so I'm looking at this dude. Like, everyone else get- <laughs> is, that, is that your brother? <laughs>
3: Unbelievable. I cannot wait to have my own space again. When are you leaving for New York? I leave for New York Wednesday night, red eye out Wednesday night, and I will be house slash dog sitting in Westchester for two full weeks. Just me, three, four bedrooms, one dog, multiple internet connections, multiple televisions. It's great. We might do do a uh, podcast from a different room each day. From Gabby's house. I
2: like so. it. Oh, so you're staying at your sister's house.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: W- 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 I just pulled it up. Here's some quick hitters. Joey Votto's batted 34 times this year. He struck out 15 times and hasn't homered. He's hitting 118. I mean, That's dude, insane. the Castellini curse is strong. I do want to read something real quick before we move to some other baseball stuff. I find myself agreeing with... Uh, What's the what's the agent? Scott Boris? Yeah. He, he had an interesting comment about like these small market teams. And where is it? I I, I gotta find this because uh he made a he, he commented because he represents Nick Castellanos, and he said that he personally called the Reds owner when the negotiations started because he said. Castellanos actually had interest in returning. Like he really liked it. So, you know, anyway, Boris says, I called him. We had a good conversation, this and that, but, uh, I kind of like what he said in that he brings up the Milwaukee Brewers, which we've said, and, and this is almost kind of like what we said is that you gotta be, you gotta retain some of the stars, to get people in seats. And I think you'd you'd agree. And this is what he says. He's talking about the Brewers. And by the way, the Reds, Cincinnati is a bigger city than Milwaukee. Also, the Brewers TV deal is less than the Reds. So so right there, bigger city, they make less money. And he talks about the Brewers. This is what Scott Boris said. He said, they draw 3 million fans. Why? Because I think they sign some of their core players and they give fans an expectation that we're going to be you know, where we have a potential to compete. It's not every year, again, which I agree. I don't expect the Reds to compete every year, but he goes on to say, if not every year, a good seven out of 10, six out of 10. And I think if you do that for your fan base and you use that as a model, you're going to continue to be rewarded by the fans. And that's exactly where I stand. Dude, be competitive six, seven out of 10 years, but you can't just suck year after year.
3: I mean, the Brewers have been, more competitive towards, you know, uh, being a World Series contender, than the Reds have since you went to the game with your dad and fucking Chris Sabo was playing. Like, when's the last time the Reds played in an NLCS?
2: Well, they they haven't. Uh, I don't think they've done that since '95. That 95 two, yeah 1995 the 2012 team which had the second best record they were a legit world series contender the one who was up 2-0 in the giants and then lost three straight games at home right But that was the opening round of the playoffs like that was yeah. a legit that was a, that was like the last legit hey this team can do damage but you're right the last i think the last nlcs was 1995 yeah was back, that's insanity yeah so yeah uh, and again this is a baseball-wide problem but it just goes to show you, you can be again, competitive and we're not expecting that every year, but you can't just suck for 20 years at a time. time. You just can't. I don't know what that's going to do. Now your Mets are starting off pretty well. First place.
3: First place. Uh, you know, the, the most wins in the NL type of the Dodgers and the giants who they take on this week. I'll be at the game on Thursday, Thursday day game. I've got the red eye out Wednesday night going directly from airport to ballpark. First stop in New York city field to go support the first place Mets. Uh, You know, Andy, listen, I know where you're at right now with ownership. I lived there. That was, that was home for me. I had a, I had a room in the shitty owners uh, hotel when it came to my baseball team for, you know, the majority of my life, uh, we're now in year two of the Steve Cohen experiment and it, you know, it's the, it's the absolute opposite side of the coin. And you can just see it. Like, I mean, Mets fans are essentially experiencing the year, year one was obviously getting to, to know what the situation was for him. And year two is being like, I'm going to be a good owner. The, Opening day at City Field here, they unveil the Tom Seaver statue, which uh, you know, obviously probably the greatest Met of all time at this point. Uh also played for your Reds. Uh, you know, and a Hall of Famer should have had a statue forever ago. Yeah. But we had shitty ownership who couldn't afford that much of bronze. You know? So opening day in his like first truly full season. He unveils a statue. Uh, There's all this talk that they have like a team of 13 analytics guys. They have uh, a book show Walter and sort of an old school manager who's doing a, a great job and it costs them money. The roster costs them money. The statue costs them money. The analytics teams cost them money, but the owner wants to win straight up goal. Number one, he said that when he came in, I don't care if I lose money on this baseball team, I will win. And it's like, that's that's what being a, an, a sports owner should be. If Try to win. And if you find that you can't simultaneously win and make money, then get out. Try to make money. And if you can't simultaneously make money and win, then get out. Because there's a lot of people out there. And we, we've seen it with these big money guys in the sort of in the modern era. I mean, Mark Cuban came in and turned around the Mavericks. The Mavericks were a punchline in the NBA and the Mavericks have been contenders in, you know, at least in a loose definition, essentially since he took over the team. Yeah. A-Rod said, A-Rod was on, I believe Sunday night baseball or whatever, or, or just doing an analyst uh, segment. Well, he he does, he does the the Peyton Manning or the Manning cast version, right? He said the Mets will win two championships in the next ten years. Yeah, I saw that, and I believe him. As a beaten and battered Mets fan, I believe I've been look at what is going on. We're you know they went out, they spent the money, and they're spending it across the board. Yeah.
2: Well, again, I, I don't know what the fine line is, but there has to be that fine line of you you spend money and then once you get enough of a return, you're not only going to spend money, you're going to make money because the fans will repay you play on words still, with their yeah.
3: money. But also still tuning in to your regional sports network in August, in September, in October people using clips from your regional sports network on the major networks come October for your, you know, playoff run, the, the, the the money you get for making the playoffs, the TV money you get for being in a world series, all the things like, like we know that how to succeed in sports is to win. Sure. And, and the idea that there are guys who are like, yes, we can make more money if we win, but we have the potential of losing less money if we just try to exist without competing.
2: So I got a crazy idea. It's shameful. I got a crazy idea. I just thought of. If you live in a city where your stadium was funded by the taxpayers, doesn't matter the sport, baseball, basketball, football,
3: it's normal, which is baseball. essentially, which is essentially all of them. You should be able to,
2: you should, you should be treated like a, like a shareholder like a stockholder, you should be able to vote out an owner. If you had lived there for, you know, how they what do they call them? The recall? Yeah. When they have recall elections like in California where it's more prevalent. Why can't you do that with an owner? If, 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 if so many taxpayers paid for it, and, and again, it, it wouldn't be like every couple of years. It has to be something substantial. Because people are quick to get rid of stuff if they have one or bat or two or three losing seasons. No, I'm not talking about that, guys. But I'm saying if you have the same owner consistently for let's just say 10 straight years, there should be a rule. Oh, we paid for this stadium. We should be able to oust this owner. Cause because I am technically a funder of that stadium. Correct?
3: Yep. is that how it works? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent.
2: Give the power to the people. Now, I know that would never happen on any level, but you'd love to see it. It's a crazy idea. It'd be good.
3: I'm a 100% into it.
2: Did you see the intentional walk?
3: To uh, Sager. Corey Sager. Yeah, I did. I didn't really, I didn't see it like in the moment and I watched it again. I didn't really understand it that much. I don't either. That's why I'm asking. But it, I mean, in the end, it, it kind of worked because the, I mean, I would say it kind of worked in that I think the um, Rangers still went on to score maybe three runs that inning uh, post walk. But the Angels did win that game in sort of a uh, firefight. You know, it was a high-scoring game. I mean, I think the the thinking, much like the Bonds walk with the bases loaded, and now <laughs> Seager is not Barry Bonds, not prime HGH Barry Bonds, but is we are in a situation here where this inning. Can can easily get out of control and cost us the entire game. So let's give them a run right here instead of potentially giving them two or three or even four in just this at bat.
2: But to me, this is when analytics have gone wrong. Well, I'm you know, I'm not I'm not anti-analytics, but again, we've seen it in football, and we really talked about it a lot, especially with the chargers this year where you analyze these stats and the numbers and the metrics too much. You're walking in a run. That's crazy to me. That is, that is bonkers
3: to me. I didn't hate it. Like I didn't hate it in theory. I hated it. Given the situation, I believe at the time they were down four, two, or they were down three, two and made it four, two. Um, correct. Like, you know, if if you were, if they were up 6-3, I don't hate it. it if they're up 6-3, I kind of like it. You know what I mean? You, you're like, well, I'm not going to give this guy a chance to make so, this game 7-6.
2: So it's 3-2. It's bottom of the fourth. Well, let, let's, let me just play the audit. Let, let me see if we have any more context here.
0: The launch angle on Trout was 23 degrees.
2: mike trout is pissed by the way
3: if i understand what just happened an intentional walk granted to seager with the bases loaded that is barry bond's treatment angels players are pissed you sure that i wasn't watching yeah joe came out talked to his pitcher pointed to first
2: and seager granted first base an intentional walk with the bases loaded brings so That's another thing, though. If you watch the video, Trout's pissed the players in the My point is you're playing the analytics or whatever you're doing, but you're also not bringing in the human factor of guys saying, fuck my manager.
3: So the the problem with the analytics of it all, right, is, and I don't know the specifics of this situation, but we're now in a, uh, a league where you have to face X amount of batters as a pitcher, righty on lefty. All this stuff. So it's like, hey, let's w- what we would do in this situation in the old days, maybe bring in a lefty to face Seeger and then immediately go back to a righty to, you know, face the rest of the line. I, I like in this situation, it was a little weird. But when you like, if you dive deeper, like, I don't think it's that weird, especially given this is a Texas Rangers Anaheim Angels game that ended up. You know, being like 14, 11 or whatever, yeah. like I, I, it worked.
2: Well, you know, this is what it is. And this is what it reminds and
3: me. And Joe of. Madden has done this before. And Joe Madden has done this in almost like the pre analytics era.
2: So if I go off the rails with my eating, and by the way, we have a great call later about this wild call about Captain Cook who had 5,000 calories in one sitting. Wild, I, Jesus! I'm, look, I'm looking forward to playing the call so everybody can hear how much he ate. Anyway, when I I'm notorious for I'm all or nothing, right? This is kind of what it reminds me. Of. When I say I'm going off the rails and I'm just going to eat a bunch of bad food, whether it's sweets or fast food, I go 150, right? It's not a junior big. It's not like a Big Mac and fries and a shake. It's like I'm getting a million things. Yeah, To me, that's like the walk-in where you've said in the past, and probably rightly so, dude, if you're going off the rails with bad food, you don't have to go all in, which to me, that's what it is. Hey, the bases are loaded. You're kind of already fucked, but you're just going to go off the rails and walk the guy? I don't know. Again, Madden's a good manager, but and they won. But to me, that's my version of just analytics gone awry.
3: I mean, uh, Madden says, just trying to stay out of a big blow, which I think we all figured was the reason, and also just trying to stir the group up, quite frankly. That's something you don't normally do. I thought just by going out there and doing something like that, the team might respond. Simple as that. Just, like, Seager's that good. So I know it's early in the game, but I thought it could have changed the momentum of the game. I I thought that was the right thing to do in that moment for us. The thing about... uh, the thing about Joe Madden is he is an analytics guy, but like he'll also do shit with that kind of reasoning where he's like playing a little head games with his own guys. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't recommend, um, you know, the, uh, who's our guy from the chargers that fucking lived and died by his insanity.
2: Yeah. Staley.
3: Staley. Yeah. I wouldn't go full Brandon Staley, but like in the, in the moment, if you're Joe Madden and you're going to pull one, it's 162 game season. You're going to play, play little fucking wild card moves, uh, you know, once every couple of weeks, keep your guys on their toes, show them that you're, you know, thinking outside the box. I'm, I'm into it. Well, I like it. I approve of this Joe Madden move. Here's a callback. And again, it worked out. Okay. Wild
2: move. Madden managing the angels. Naked gun, Leslie Nielsen. The Angels are playing. Like that's something you'd see in Naked Gun, you know, the wild move with the manager, with the ump, whatever he's playing. Am am, am I really stretching this one? Maybe. I'm just saying, is Leslie Nielsen actually John Madden? John Madden.
3: John Madden. (laughs) Boom! I'm managing the
2: Angels. With OJ Simpson. As one of the bench coaches, because we all know OJ likes to visit. I like his when, I
3: like it when Andy tries to uh, Mad Lib himself a title for the show.
2: <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to do that. We're not there yet. The, Joe the t-
3: Madden is John Madden is Leslie Nielsen? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a
2: Black Sports Online title.
3: Yeah, tough actin, tenactin.
2: Boom! You probably didn't get a chance to watch too much NBA when you were stuck in a car for 18 hours.
3: I was in and out of sleep in the passenger seat, but I did tune into moments of the NBA uh, via my via my Wi-Fi via my uh, phone connection in the car. So I saw bits and pieces here and there of a great uh, opening weekend of basketball. And I watched a lot on. Saturday during the day and then watch a little bit Sunday via the phone wild Nets Celtics game huh yeah and uh, that is exactly how I see this series playing out I think it's gonna be tight I think it'll I think we'll have a lot of close games at the end um, I hate to say it uh, like because it you know it, it may seem like I told you so but essentially, That's a back and forth game that you know is is both teams to have at the end, and is the final Nets possession before the Jason Tatum game winner is undone by Kyrie Irving, just dribbling around for 14 seconds while being double teamed. I like. There's a lot of talk, and and I and here's something I've noticed. This is Kyrie Irving is certainly like the new Carmelo Anthony. Or like the Lamar Jackson of the NFL of the NBA, where people love his skill set so much that they refuse—they absolutely refuse—to like talk about him in a way that's honest. Which is his skills, and people keep calling him the most skilled player of all time, which is insane. First of all, um, but I don't even know what that means when people say that. Well, people love to use skill, and and essentially it only. The way I the way I see the, the internet talk about it, it essentially only relates to handle and shooting. <laughs> like passing is a skill. Rebounding is a skill. Playing defense is a skill. But for some reason, this quote unquote Kobe was the most skilled and Kyrie is the most skilled. It has to do with only like footwork, handle, and like jump shooting ability and finishing at the rim. I guess. Um, So that's why it is lunacy because the guy has the ball and, and what did all that ball handling skill get him in that final possession? A, a, an emergency dump off to Kevin Durant, probably the most uh, elite scorer of the basketball we've ever seen in NBA history uh, to get a frantic, contested shot.
2: Well, Kyrie did have a hell of a game.
3: Yeah, no doubt about and, it.
2: And Durant and, had an off, off game.
3: Sure. And, and they're like, but what does that mean? Where does that leave them? Down one 0. because yeah. missed, because the guy who had a big game, I mean, you know, I shit on Michael Jordan on this show plenty, you know, uh, I wouldn't even say I shit on him. I, I'm more of a Jordan truther than I am a, you know, a Jordan hater. But we've seen the Paxton shot. We saw the Paxson game in the Lakers series. We saw the Kerr shot. We've seen the B.J. Armstrong. Like, Jordan deferred in moments where he needed to. And you get Kyrie Irving frantically showing off his handle and then getting the ball to Kevin Durant 30 feet from the basket with absolutely no chance to make a play.
2: I think that would have been a backbreaking loss for Boston. Yeah. Especially when you have four guys score 20 or more, you can't lose a game when you have four players. Like when you have the balance scoring like that and you're at home and it's game one, not that the series would have been over. No way. But I'm just saying that like emotionally, if you lose that game, I think it could have ramifications
3: for the rest of that series. But the same token and, and yeah. And it's these two seven series that are going to be the most, like clearly the most exciting of the first round.
2: Well, the T-Wolves are surprising a lot of people.
3: Yeah, but it's early, you know, it's game one. They have the momentum of the big win in the play in game. They, you know, have a shock shocker in game one, but a lot, I saw a lot of, uh, commentary around that game that like, oh, Memphis had a great year, but the playoffs are different. This is different. And I'm just going to say like, definitely tap the break. This is going to be a series, like tap the brakes on, you know, this Minnesota, this, this Memphis team not being able to handle playoff basketball. And, they, they, and now they may not play in the NBA finals. And as a two seed, you know, you're sort of expected at least to go to the conference finals. They may not play in the conference finals, but they're a young team that is, going to be sticking around for a long time and yeah, they're going to take their playoff lumps but like I'm almost still predicting them to win this series. Yeah.
2: Well, it is one game and you got to win four, especially as a road team. It's not easy but obviously that's going to be a series. Like you said, there's two seven series are going to be good. You know, the other the other home teams were holding court a lot lower scoring game in Chicago, Milwaukee.
3: Yeah. And the NBA, my NBA playoff zigzag theory is already off to a fairly hot start. I, we didn't talk about it prior to the, uh, playoff starting because we didn't know exactly who was going to be seated where, but, um, and also we had, we did have some weird lines going into the games because the Mavericks were actually, or the jazz were actually favored in that game against the Mavericks, even though they were the road team saving. because Luca was Everything out. I'm
0: wa-
3: um, I stayed away from the 76ers Raptors series. Cause I think the seven, the 76ers team is uh, absolutely built to like beat shittier competition. And then we'll see how they fare against better, better competition um so i stayed away from that but you get uh, a warriors big win uh that hurt me in the zigzag theory otherwise jazz timberwolves good and then you had uh you know a heat blow the nets keep it close the bu- the bulls keep it close and then the suns blowed out uh i think you'll see in the nba my my playoff zigzag theory like i think the raptors after a, a like a blowout in game one, we'll probably play them close in game two. Utah still favored by five points on the road without Luka, but I think the Mavericks will probably cover that. The Nuggets will probably cover a seven-point spread in game two. Like I will, if you didn't get involved in game one, definitely get involved in game two. Whichever team covered, I'd almost go the other way. Uh, Hawks heat, I think, you know, the Heat are pretty good, but I think the Hawks probably play that seven game, seven close. Timberwolves, Grizzlies. I don't know if Memphis covers a seven point, uh, but, the, and and I don't know if the Pelicans cover nine and a half, but for those first four games, Raptors, Sixers, Jazz Mavericks, Nuggets, Warriors, Hawks heat. I think, I think I'm on board with the, the zigzag. Nets, yeah. Celtics, Boston minus three and a half. That's that's that that that'll be a tough one. I'll I'll look at that before Tuesday. See how that line moves.
2: I feel like Chris Paul hit a great game. I forget the stat. He, he's only one of five guys to have, I think, thirty points and what was it, ten assists? The amount of times he's had in the playoffs. I feel like he's still under career wise. We're talking about career
3: wise. I feel like he's undervalued, under undervalued or underrated. He's, I mean, he's valued pretty high. (laughs) They give him a lot of. He's made a lot of money. Underrated, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I think when people talk about greatest point guards of all time, he isn't mentioned that often, and I don't think he is the greatest point guard of all time, and he's probably not in the top couple, but um, he's right outside the top few, and I would argue. kind of to my death that, you know, in comparison to a guy like Steph Curry, Steph Curry's not really a point guard. Uh, If In my top point guards of all-time list, I I would have uh, Chris Paul above Steph Curry. Even though my greatest players of all-time list, I have Steph Curry above Chris Paul. Because you can call it whatever you want. You can title him whatever you want, but He's not bringing the ball up and facilitating their offense like Chris Paul is.
2: Well, exactly. He's not a true point guard. But if you were going to have a list of true point guards that you're drafting. Where do you put Chris Paul? Magic Johnson or Oscar Robertson are probably going to be people's number one. I'd assume you might just say LeBron if you're going to say he's the facilitator.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, if we're not, if we're not doing that, which is LeBron out, I want to take LeBron out. Yeah.
2: Let's remove LeBron. I'd go magic Johnson. Yeah. With my number one. I would as well. And then who do you go after that? I'm talking point guards.
3: I mean, I am not true uh, point guards, right? I'm not uh, a big, like I'm not old enough to have been deep in the Oscar Robertson era. So to me in my in my lifetime the guys on that list are Magic Johnson, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Chris Paul. Yeah, it's a good list. That's that's probably my my guys. Like I don't Lillard's not on that list for me in terms of like true point guards, you know, um Kyrie, not that he would be in the conversation, isn't on that list in terms of true point guards. Allen Iverson isn't to me on that list of true point guards. I'm talking about I agree. guys who facilitate first. Magic Johnson, John Stockton, Chris Paul, Isaiah Thomas, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd. Yeah. I, I And honestly, at this point with what Chris Paul has done... uh. He might be four for me,
2: sure. That's what I'm saying. He's up there. Like if we're talking your
3: traditional point guard, but he can also score. Yeah, and so could Isaiah, and so could Steve Nash.
2: I so no, could- I, I I agree. All those guys. That's what I'm saying. Is is I think we get lost. I also agree with you when you say Damian Lillard or Allen Iverson or Ky- none of those guys are traditional point guards. No. Have you been watching winning times? Speaking of of magic
3: Johnson. So I literally just got home. uh, Last night started. I am. I am. I believe was it episode seven that aired last night. Correct. So I'm midway through. It's literally on the screen pause right now. I'm midway through episode six.
2: I want to say this about the last two episodes. I'm not going to give anything away. And I think the book it's, it's affecting me. I, cause I love the book and I'm not just saying this cause we're supposed to have Jeff Perlman on next week, author of the book. I mean, the book is so much better. I'm not just saying this. And I know that's the cliche thing to say, and I know there are different mediums and, but the book is so, uh, you know, you have the ability to be in depth, the context. And this is what I'm going to say. The book is so good it's making me like the show less and less. I'm halfway done with the book. I'm like 230 pages into the book and it okay. reads easy. It's one of those boom, five pages here. I'm sitting in the toilet, five pages there. Oh, I, I,
3: I, I look forward to you telling Jeff next week that you most you mostly enjoy his work on the toilet.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, no, I'm saying, you know, you know, you know, it's an easy read. Like you were having some tech issues before the show. And I just sat there with the book. Cause I can go through it and, I, I think it's so good that the TV show for me, I've really struggled the last two weeks. Really? Really struggled. Because six and seven
3: episode six is uh, I'm halfway through, but I'm enjoying it. And actually my thing, cause I haven't read the book uh, the two big question marks I have. Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure. And you, you can tell me because uh Uh, you're reading the book, but I'm pretty sure when Jerry West left being the coach of the Lakers, he might've been loosely involved, but he wasn't fully involved. Like he came back later on as a scout, but like when you're watching, if you're watching this as a, a, somebody who doesn't know the team, you're like, well, and the coach gets hurt. You're like, well, why don't they just bring back Jerry West? He was essentially like gone, wasn't he? Well, here's the crazy
2: thing. He was introduced at a press conference and everybody was like what the hell. Jerry Buss introduced two coaches. Like they were going to co-head coach, him and Pat Riley. One was going to do offense and one was going to do defense.
3: Uh the Pat the Riley and, Pat Riley and Jerry West in the next season.
2: Yeah, so it was when they fired Paul Westhead. Right. And they're doing this press conference. It was a surprise. He's like, well, Jerry and Pat are going to handle it. And they were like, what? And Jerry was like, I want no part of this. And basically Pat, after just, they just started winning instantly with Pat Riley and he kept Pat Riley went back to the McKinney offense, right? Like 100%, which Paul West had after they won the title, tried to implement his own offense, which obviously fell off the rails. The Lakers don't win the title the next year. So West was involved. And I will say reading the book. It shares a lot of elements of he was kind of a lunatic. Now, everyone says the the, and we've talked about it and everybody within the Lakers said the TV show doesn't do him right. Now, the book, definitely, they're taking creative liberty with the TV show. But if you read the book, you say, well, he kind of was a lunatic.
3: Well, and he- and, and, and that's something everybody's known. like he's major open battle with like severe depression. The, the 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 show touches on his relationship with his dad, which he's like always yes. you know kind of come out. But uh I think the thing in the show that people were upset about is like how volatile he was and he you know is sort of famously more of a quiet struggle like a you know one of those guys like th- there's the part in the episode in one of the early episodes where He's just in his house in the dark. And they're like, that's sort of more true to who Jerry West was than a guy who's throwing a trophy through a window.
2: Yeah. Well, he was so crazy. And you'll kind of see this in this episode later. And they don't do it exactly like the book. But when he became the GM, which I think is around like the 82 or 83 season, because he was still always loosely involved. Right. Obviously, the co-head coach and then all this he couldn't be in the arena during the games because it was too much for him. Yeah. So he would drive around the forum and listen on the radio. And you'll see later, this isn't that big of a giveaway in episode seven, where he's sitting in a limo in Boston, listening, like he couldn't go to the garden. And obviously yeah. this sounds like it was all made up, but I think they're taking from the book where it's saying he would drive around because he was such kind of off the rail type of guy. Now, I here's. A, he-
3: Here's a question for you in regards to episode six. Did magic have an offer from Nike? Is that in the book?
2: They don't mention that
3: yet. Right? Yeah. Cause that seemed out of place a little bit. Phil I Knight. thought it was very out of place. Phil Knight just strolling up. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm Phil Knight.
2: <laughs> That's a fascinating history too, by the way.
3: Yeah. How young
2: Nike really is. Yeah. And how, he'd be worth billions of dollars like Michael Jordan had he taken that Nike deal.
3: Which I was like, I never even knew that that was a thing. But... You never knew what was a thing. That that Magic may or may not have passed so I, on in a Nike deal. I'm
2: assuming, again, the book does not mention it. And we're past that stage of his career where I'm yeah. at in the book. So I assume it didn't happen. Maybe it did. Yeah. Obviously, Magic Johnson is worth, I think... Like four or $500 million, regardless. So I don't know. But you know what I love about the book, man? It, you know, it doesn't hold back. And obviously, we'll talk about this next week when we have Jeff on. But like when it came to the partying and the drugs and the girls, I mean, magic. There, I mean, I mean, there's quotes in there saying magic would have, he'd have, you know, three girls in the morning three girls before the game, three like, like, you all, everybody else says about Wilt Chamberlain. But the thing about Magic was he never did any drugs, any drugs. He never smoked cigarettes. He never drank alcohol. He didn't do any of the hard drugs. His thing was always girls. And possibly guys. I don't know. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just putting it out there. But, I will say it does. You and I, ha- <laughs> you and I, Andy ha- dropping, man. No, well, look. Here's the deal. You and I have have you actually are the the leader of this argument on the yeah heterosexual HIV
3: stuff. Yeah, it's hard to get, it's hard to get AIDS, it's hard to get HIV from vaginal intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an Arsenio Hall? I'm not. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I've just
2: you you will like the rest of that episode with how they handle the Boston Garden and the Boston fans and just how big a piece of shit they are.
3: Yeah, and then and now that's rearing its head in this, this Nets Celtics series, Kyrie Irvings you know uh, in leading up to the series been talking about he hopes that boston fans can just appreciate his contribution his legacy there which i'm not sure what that was um and then obviously you know going at it with boston fans who i mean talk about i I don't know what the the wrestling equivalent of this is but like you know, during the heyday of the WWE, when when you had two heels who were competing for a title, you're like, wait, who am I supposed to root for? In the you know Razor Ramon, uh, fucking Undertaker match, like which who's the good guy here? You know, like I, I, that that's probably not. There's probably WWE fans who are losing their minds. Like Undertaker's a good guy. I don't know. My point is is like Boston fans versus Kyrie Irving. What? How how do you feel good about taking a side in this one?
2: I, I'm taking a side. I like the middle finger. Okay. You don't, you don't really see that. I like him giving the middle finger to a fan. And I'm not a Kyrie guy, of course.
3: Yeah. But
2: I like that. I wonder what'll be fine. Has it been announced yet?
3: I I'm not sure that it has.
2: I do like the commentary too of Van Gundy. I think it was Van. Was it was it Van Gundy calling the game? Yeah. I like how they didn't ignore it. Is what I'm saying. I feel like a lot of announcers would just ignore it. What was going on with the protester? Speaking of fans,
3: this is two games in a row in Minnesota, right? Or was that one the uh, game one that was Memphis? So it was in, but it was Minnesota. Yeah, the first one, right? So it's two straight Minnesota games.
2: She tried to glue her hands to the court.
3: Yeah, and then somebody else attached themselves to the stanchion.
2: Tried to chain themselves.
3: Yeah, it's cool. The NBA it's a global game. A lot of a lot of eyes on the NBA playoffs. So and this do your was protest.
2: an animal rights activist.
3: I believe both were correct,
2: but it has something to do with Minnesota, right? Did they do something?
3: Uh, I don't. I didn't dive too deep. I mean, I've I've read just the headlines. I don't want to pull this up here.
2: Yeah, I I, should have done more of a research on this. Chain self,
3: the top of the
2: hoop. I'm just going to say, why is every animal rights activist just ugly? Like, can we just can we just?
3: The Timberwolves owner, apparently. (laughs) Yes. Um, Glenn Taylor roasts animals alive is what her T-shirt said.
2: She's very, I mean, mean, am I an asshole for saying that? I don't care.
3: What? Is she what?
2: Every every like crazy animal rights activist is just, you're just a gross person. (laughs) Like, come on, dude. Uh,
3: Has accused the owner of the Timberwolves of inhumane killing of 5.3 million chickens in a recent mass killing following an outbreak of bird flu in Taylor's Iowa egg factory. Taylor is in his last season as the team's owner The NBA approved the $1.5 million deal that will net Alex Rodriguez and partner Mark Lohr, the Walmart CEO, a 20% minority share of the Timberwolves chances to buy more sticks in the team in 2022 and beyond to make them the majority owners. I'm just going to go nuclear.
2: You know, if you're concerned, what are you eating? Because you don't look healthy, woman. I'm just going to say it. You you, you don't look healthy at all. So what are you eating, animal rights activist? Your skin doesn't look healthy. You're a little large. What are you eating? Did you come over Easter yesterday? Were you part of the diabetes bonanza here at the Ruther household? I just, what is the end game of this person? What is the end game? I want to know.
3: Well, I think the end game, and dare I say she accomplished it. We're talking about that it. We're talking about it. And I just looked it up and read out loud on the Dirty Sports podcast that the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves had a 5.3 million chicken uh, mass murder. And she's bringing it. She's bringing awareness to that. <laughs> <laughs> we
2: we you and I've been doing a lot of references lately, which no one's getting.
3: Yeah, it's fine.
2: I did watch the Corey Haim Nicole Eggert sex scene.
3: Uh, uh, oh, you watched it? You didn't bro. watch the whole movie, though, bro. I, I I ain't got time for that right now.
2: So it's it, it's a It was, again, sent by Hall of Fame dirtball Jesse Stang of E.V. And Minnesota
3: Minnesota Timberwolves fan.
2: And Minnesota Timberwolves fan. Good call right there. It it was nine minutes because it was a montage of all the sex scenes. Yeah. And I'll be honest. There's nothing like she's hot and she's attractive, but like Corey Haim. It's just it's weird because he's such like a little boy. Does that make sense? Like it's a sex scene with a guy who's like 25, but he looks like he's 15. So I kind of felt a little uncomfortable because like he was taking her shirt off. And then when his shirt came off, like he he looks like a like a 15 year old twink. And I'm just like, this is like he's trying to be the manly guy. You know, wasn't the best. I did get a text from Majid saying he had to go down an '80s rabbit hole and watch all these things,
3: <laughs> as in these movies. I think it was early '90s, but yeah, yeah.
2: I think you're right. I
3: how would many, love. We, need dr- a, we we need a Majid? We need an official uh, nacho helmet correspondent Majid review of both blown away. That's like I need the call where Michael Majid uh, reviews. Both blown away is referenced on last show, compares them, contrasts them, and gives us a how many helmets full of nachos he gives both (laughs) both episodes. Or maybe how full. He's like, I give I give blown away with Tommy Lee Jones a full helmet of nachos. And I give blown away with Corey Haim just half a helmet of nachos.
2: (laughs) Just the jalapenos. I do wonder how many dirt balls went and watched that sex scene. Over under 10.
3: Over. Like, I'm you ahead.
2: confidently say that?
3: I'm confident. I'm saying, like, anybody who knew who knew Nicole Eggert was. But even if the, they did. This, right. So I'm, I'm putting a couple of people who knew who she was at being like, oh, this was a thing. Then a couple of people who I reminded of it, like maybe if some of our older, you know, the dirt boomers, as I call them, who are like, oh, yeah, remember that? <laughs> yeah, I just need a refresher on that. And then some people who are like, who the hell are any of these people that Joe and Andy are talking about? I must find out. Sure. What what was Charles in Charge? And what do you mean, one of the second, one of the daughters of the second family on Charles in Charge got banged by one of the quarries? Who are the quarries? Just somebody that had like had their whole mind blown by the whole thing, just truly blown away by all the things that they learned.
2: But I would say most even younger dirtballs will probably have seen Goonies. Sure.
3: And if you haven't get, get yourself immediately.
2: Yeah. With Corey Feldman, he's in it. So yeah, he had a nice run for a while. Then Michael Jackson ruined it. Yeah. (laughs) He he was, he was part of the like young boys that Michael Jackson was praying on. Right.
3: Yeah. And he claims that I think, even though he claims multiple, like that was his thing for a while was claiming like he was sexually abused as a child actor in Hollywood. He claims Michael Jackson was not one of those people.
2: Wow. That's pretty yeah. wild.
3: Yeah, I did. <laughs> but also, meanwhile, he like used to do a Michael Jackson like impersonation or whatever. It's like talk about Stockholm syndrome.
2: Oh, uh, that's right. I forgot. I shouldn't laugh, but I just you just think of uh, I mean, who was in that Michael Jackson world? Him, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Wasn't Webster? Yeah. Who's got the stand-up that it, Chappelle or Cat Williams? He's like, he's putting Webster on his lap, and everybody thought it was normal. Webster was like <laughs> Webster. Webster was like 30, and Michael Jackson had him on his lap like he was a three-year-old. You know what Webster, I
3: thought? Webster and Michael Jackson were the same age.
2: <laughs> what the? Dude, what was going on? Wild times. OK, I know we got a little bit of a time crunch. Let's let's hear from the dirt balls. Three one. Oh,
3: Andy. But before we get to calls, I don't know. Did you see the breaking quarterback slash golf news?
2: No. Oh, I did. The, but the match. Yeah, it's going to be. Go ahead.
3: It's going to be. I believe it's June 1st and it's going to be Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in. Capital One's The Match, you know, which honestly, besides the Manning cast, might be my favorite, like, modern sports production. I think they do an incredible job with the production. Now, let me ask you, Andy, who does one root for in this? Because I know you're a Brady fan. I know you're sort of a a Rogers fan. But I think that they're, like, almost being presented here as team villain uh, to everybody, like, you know. Fan favorite, uh, sort of across the league, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, who you know, like you sort of feel bad for Mahomes at this point. He's got a little villain vibe because he's been in so many consecutive AFC Championship games. Plus, you have his sister and his his or sorry, his brother and his wife, who cause man, like I don't know, like I'm sort of at the point. It's crazy, but I think I still root for Brady and Rogers.
2: Yeah, I, I'm a, obviously, like you said, Josh Allen's kind of the universal.
3: Like, why couldn't it just like why they should have they just gotten Josh Allen, Eli Manning, and then everybody would have been fine. You know, we've been like, we all have somebody to root for here.
2: I'll be curious to see Josh Allen's golf game.
3: I think he's pretty good. He's supposedly I, pretty good. I assume. I bet you they're all in the I bet you they're all like within a five or six stroke handicap range.
2: Well, I think person like personality-wise, I'll be curious as well. I don't think Mahomes is that much of a personality. I mean, it's nothing against him. No. I haven't seen Josh Allen too much.
3: Yeah. There's certainly more like developed character personalities on the Brady-Roger side. But at this point, I mean...
2: Are his family going to be there? That's the question. Who Mahomes? Yeah, is his is his fiance or wife, whatever she is, going to be screaming like Kermit? Hopefully,
3: hopefully, I mean, hopefully the 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 one thing that comes out of this match is Aaron Rodgers taking Patrick Holmes to the side and being like, "Dude, take it from me, just stop talking to your family entirely." Yeah, <laughs> just don't even act like they're there anymore. He's like, "I just married her. She had my kid." He's like, "Listen, what do you?" Wh- you want to listen to me or you're not? I've been in this a long time. They put send your brother your, on the bachelor. Yeah. Send your wife and your newborn child out of your life. And he's like, Aaron, this is like a, he's like, all right, well, listen. Or you can hang around with them, you know, and uh, see how it goes. But I think you should trade them immediately for a case of horse paste and just move on to a healthy ha- happy, healthy life. Yeah.
2: He hasn't won an MVP since they really came into the fold. Mm-mm.
3: Because Rodgers has won both.
2: Mahomes played, Is he started three years now? Four. Yeah. All right, let's get to the dirt ball calls. 310-359-8365. I teased it earlier, a 5,000-calorie sitting. Wait until you hear how much food was eaten.
1: What's up, Dirty Sports? It's all about spray. Long live pizza comedy. It's your boy, Captain Kook, a.k.a. Cook Just wanted to call in and say uh, I did a 15K Tough Mudder run, had a blast, crushed it, and uh, was feeling pretty hungry. I may or may not have smoked prior to the run. It definitely helps with uh, endurance and stuff. But anyways, uh feeling a little hungry afterwards, went to In-N-Out, got a 4x4, grilled onions, some well-done fries, an extra-large Neapolitan shake, and i was still feeling a little hungry. So I moseyed on over to McDonald's, and they've got that uh, classic Big Mac pack deal. Uh, So I I ordered that, and I crushed the whole thing. For those that uh, are unaware, that is two Big Macs two medium fries, two 10-piece chicken nuggets. What? Uh, and to top it off, I, I had a Oreo McFlurry. So I I had it at about all up, and it was about 5,000 calories in, uh, in one sitting, which I I thought was pretty good. I, I probably could have kept going, uh, but I didn't want to be a glutton. You know, that would be, be rude. So anyways, I wanted to see what uh, – what is your guys' largest single meal? Is it that, that Texas uh, thick Challenge, or do you guys got something a little bit more uh, more caloric than that, to top it off? Uh, Stay Dirty Boys. Condoms are for south winds, ruining uh, an otherwise fun little west-south swell combo.
2: I just want to repeat what he said. He had okay, okay. Let, let me let me just break it down. I'm gonna like break this down. So I had to look it up. A 15k tough motor So it's a little over nine miles, and obviously that's a lot. It's not just a race. I assume the tough motor is way it's way harder. It's got to be, yeah. Than just mud. you know. So so nine plus miles of that. So he had four patties. Is that correct? At In and Out with fries. And a shake, yeah. Then he went across the street to B- to McDonald's
3: and had two Big Macs, which I believe have three patties each. So we're a total of ten patties alone. Two medium fries,
2: two 10 ten-piece chicken McNuggets, and a McFlurry, bro, bro. <laughs> That's impressive. Yes, I've never done that in quote unquote, one sitting.
3: No, not and even close. I, and I think that's the thing. It's like when you ask me, I think my biggest meal is definitely the big Texan. And that was because it also happened like within an hour. I'd like to see how many calories I've eaten, you know, maybe over the course of like, I don't know, three hours at any given moment. Like I think uh, start to finish on a, maybe a Thanksgiving you know, you go pretty hard. You start out, you eat naps, you're eating pasta. If you're an Italian family, then you're going, then you're diving into all the stuff. Then you're going back for just, then you're getting dessert. Then you're going back for the leftovers, usually not long after. But for me, it was definitely the big Texan in, in one hour. That's probably my biggest like food haul.
2: I'm looking at this. I don't know if I could do this is just his second part. Even even after, I'm thinking even after like a marathon, two Big Macs, 20 Chicken McNuggets, two medium fries, and a shake. That is a lot.
3: Yeah. Smoke them if you got them, Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> nice job.
2: Now, I thought in college at one point, I was obsessed for a while with the two tacos for 99 cents at Jack in the Mox. Like that was my go-to drunk college food, along with the 99 cent chicken sandwich or 99 cent junior bacon cheeseburger. So I was hung over one Sunday. Getting hungry. I know. And I bought 20 Jack in the Box tacos for 10 bucks. And, and how walked, many of them did you eat? I think I ate like somewhere from like 12 to 14. And and as you know, those aren't small tacos.
3: No. I don't know because I, <laughs> I can say with 100% certainty I've never eaten the tacos from Jack in the Box. It's paste. It's paste with cheese and lettuce. It's pretty It's
2: pretty gnarly if you think about it. Like I put that junk in my system a lot. I do miss Jack in the Box for the record. I think there's one around here. Jack in the Box is a wild place because you can get a cheeseburger, a chicken sandwich, and also tacos.
3: Yeah, and like an ultimate breakfast sandwich, yeah, and but, and 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 French fry, you know, sticks or no, sorry, French toast sticks. Like it's yeah, it's the wild. Jack in the Box is
2: like a stoner constructed menu, and you can say that about Taco Bell, but Jack in the Box is even wilder.
3: Yeah, because they don't pick a lane. They don't pick a lane. That's it. They're like, they're like, what are you guys a burger place? They're like, yeah, with tacos and breakfast,
2: and they do a breakfast burrito as well.
3: Yeah, I don't give a fuck. I don't
2: think I've come close to that, though.
3: No. Pro- the, you, yeah. Massive the, props to Kuchmeier.
2: You should have filmed it, man. What he ate that day is probably the equivalent of what.
3: I didn't even know that the, the, the double Big Mac meal
2: was a thing. I didn't either. It, it, <laughs> is it? What is he talking about? That wasn't the challenge that people were trying to do for a while.
3: No, that we should pull up again because that's, that's an interesting one.
2: There was more to I that
3: st- one. Yeah, there was more to it, but it didn't start with a four by four with fries and a shake from in and out. <laughs> There's more McDonald's stuff on there. I still, la- I still think I could do the McDonald's challenge.
2: But doesn't it have to be within an hour as well? Or yeah, two hours? That's,
3: yeah, that time crunch, that's, that's the tough part. But I still think I could do it. I put down some McDonald's in my day. I think I could do a kookmire eight from McDonald's in one sitting. But that's, you know, not following an in and out run.
2: Okay. The McDonald's challenge, it's 90 minutes or less. It's four double quarter pounders with cheese, two large fries. That's huge if they're large. 20 McNuggets. Oh, no way. Four large Cokes. The Cokes will kill you. That's what it is. I couldn't yeah, do it.
3: The, the Cokes is definitely tough.
2: The Cokes will make it, make it so hard. That's in 90 minutes. That'd be a tough one. Yeah, I could maybe do the Big Mac thing, especially if I had exercised. Yeah, I, I'm wrong. If I ran a marathon, for sure, I could do that, actually. All right, let's get to a non-food-related call, but I am really getting hungry hearing that. Oh, here's an offer for, for a trip to Atlanta.
0: Ooh. What up, Joe and Andy? It's your retired stripper, Dirtball Bryson here, calling from Atlanta. Um, so I have some good news for you guys, and I don't know if you want to take it up, take up the offer, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So July 11th and 12th, the Mets come into town. I have three tickets, so me, Joe, and Andy. If you would like, it's a Monday and Tuesday games, 7 o'clock. I know neither of you have been to the Atlanta Braves Stadium. It's sponsored by Miller Lite, even better. So they only sell Miller Lite and Coors Light in the stadium. They don't sell any of the other shitty beers products. So it's only Miller and Coors Light in the stadium. You both have tickets with me. If you guys would like to fly out, I know, I mean, I can't, I'm not a millionaire, so I can't afford your flights or hotels. But if it's a bucket list ballpark, you'd love to see. There's a huge PBR bar right outside. There's like 30 bars right around the stadium. It's a good time. It'll be packed. It'll probably be sold out because, you know, the Braves have been doing well lately. But I have two tickets for you guys, July 11th and July 12th. So if that's something you guys are willing to do or if you're and fly in for one day, just let me know. Or maybe, Joe, you can get some comedy clubs booked around here for the 11th and 12th. I'll buy some tickets, you know, to support, bring some friends out. We can just have a good time. So just let let me know if you guys want to. But you have tickets to July 11th and July 12th on me. Mr. Bryson.
2: So you guys just let me know. Stay dirty, boys. All right. so where are you at in the ballpark list? I just looked. I have been to 15 of the 30, but it's actually 14 because the Rangers just got a new park.
3: Right. I gotta, let me see my ballparks. Let me pull up my ballparks.
2: So if we want to be technical, I've only been to 14 of the current 30
3: i have been to 17 of the current 30 so i have not been to arizona which is crazy i gotta get out to that i'll have to go see randy Ruther this year and check that one off the list i haven't been to arizona milwaukee minnesota tampa bay miami atlanta washington pittsburgh another one i've got to check off the list asap i've been to Toronto, but not for a baseball game. I've been in the Sky Dome for a YouTube concert, but not a baseball game, so it remains on the list. Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, and yes, the new Rangers ballpark.
2: What is that? SunTrust, the new.
3: Yeah, I believe race? that's correct. Yeah. So I'm going through the rest of it because yes, I've been to Yankees, Boston, and Baltimore. I've been to Chicago White Sox. I've been to Angels, Houston, Oakland, Seattle. I had the AL West locked up until Texas got their new ballpark. I've been to Mets and Phillies. I've been to St. Louis, Chicago, Cincinnati. I've been to all. Oh man, I have no full things. I've been to uh, Dodgers, San Francisco, Colorado, San Diego, and just not Arizona. I've got to. I've got to get the the. NL and AL West locked up this year, I think for sure. And then maybe, uh, lock up the, A the NL East by doing an Atlanta get, start getting Atlanta off the list.
2: Yeah. My big thing is the East coast. That's what, that's what
3: my big thing is the, uh, like central, the, the centrals, the AL and NL central. I've only got St. Louis, Chicago, Cincinnati. So I'm missing two from the NL central and I'm missing four from the AL central. My Wests are just about locked up. I, I'm fi- I'll am i finish my West this year. Facts. Facts. Yeah. Arizona is an easy one.
2: I like it. It's, it's bigger. It's now considered older, right? It's probably.
3: Yeah. I know. I got to lock some of these up before they, you know, refresh these ballparks again. Sure. Randy, give me a call. <laughs>
2: I'm just picturing him making a cocktail in his pool.
3: I'm just picturing him dressed up like a rattlesnake to go to Diamondbacks games.
2: What did he dress up for the
3: He dressed up as a cardinal, a religious cardinal for the Arizona okay. as- Cardinals game. Yeah. So maybe he'll dress up as an old school 1980s Diamondback bike to go to uh the Arizona Diamondbacks game. I would love that. <laughs> He's going to dress like one of the guys from Rad. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. That's a reference that you guys, if you guys haven't seen Rad, what are you doing with your lives? I don't know what the hell you're talking about.
2: What? What
3: is Rad? Oh, my, if we, my brother is about to Mikey's about to fucking call you on the phone, dude. You haven't seen rad? No, what's rad? It's a 80s movie about BMX biking.
2: Who's in it? Anybody we know?
3: Well, the person that you would know in it is Lori Laughlin. Oh, yeah.
2: Now known as the woman who paid to get her kids into USC.
3: Yeah. She should have just used some of uh, that rad money. Some of that, yeah, some of that Hell Track money. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't seen rat. I, I can guarantee you, your brothers have seen rat. I guarantee it as well. So, this is 80s. Oh, yeah. Hard 80s. 80s. You, you remember like that BMX, like, oh, yeah, explosion
2: and skateboarding. I remember that both of those explosions. Yeah. My brothers were like huge in skateboarding. Yeah. All those different. Brands and obviously Tony Hawk blew up and some of the other guys. All right. I know you got to get moving. 310-359-8365. Those will be the couple calls we do today. Drop us a call, question, comment on the hotline. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Dirty Sports. You can drop a podcast review on Apple. Leave your Twitter Instagram handle for Koozies or rate and review, subscribe on Spotify, please.
3: Thank you. Uh, you guys can come uh, and see a show while I'm in New York. Uh, I got some shows lined up. They're all on my website, Joe Already put up the first couple of dates at my favorite club in all the world, the stand NYC, uh, the place where we recorded Joe Praner takes the stand, the new location, truly a great place. Come have dinner, come see a show. Uh, I think I'm doing at least one of the frantic Monday shows, which is honestly maybe my favorite show. You see so many great comics. So if you're in New York, come out and see that. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I'll be on all social media at Joe Prano, except for Twitter, where I'm still at Fix Your Life. Once again, shout out to all the Dirtballs who made it out in Steamboat, in Vail, in Denver. Um, Thank you guys for supporting. It means a lot. Uh, I'm, I, uh, so many of you guys made it out that I know I missed some of your names. I know I forgot. I, I, I didn't even get some of your names because you guys do the wave and then see after the show and then never see me again. So shout out to those guys. I didn't meet, uh, if you're a dirt ball and you come to the show, say hello. And, uh, yeah, that's it for me, Andy. Cool.
2: Much love to everybody for listening, watching, supporting whatever you guys do. We always appreciate it. You guys have a great start to your week. And as always, stay
3: dirty.